Hello and welcome to Spring Office Hours Season 3, Episode 3, Spring Data, JPA versus JDBC versus REST. We're going to have a whole lot of fun talking about all things data and why you might choose one abstraction level over another. My name is Dan Vega, Spring Developer Advocate at Broadcom, joined by my good friend and colleague, Deshaun Carter. Deshaun, how are you doing? I'm wonderful. I am also a Spring Developer Advocate. I'm working on becoming a Java champion. Like Dan, congratulations again. It, it's we, we can celebrate it all month, as far as I'm concerned. Hey, at least yeah, the rest of the month, let's celebrate it. <laughs> January, well, the, I like it. Things are good. Life is good. We're, we're doing good things, and I love the feedback that we're getting. We got a great group here today, and let's go. Yeah, it should be fun. Um, this is one of those topics that we get uh, a lot of requests on, you know, anything Spring Data. We actually did an episode uh, a couple weeks ago, and and I think we were showing off Spring Data at JDBC or something, and I showed off a repository, and someone was like, oh, I didn't know you could do repositories with JDBC. So what is a repository? We'll get into all of that as we go. So what's been what's been happening in your world, Deshaun? We had no show last week. Uh, we were celebrating MLK Day, so no show last yeah. week. Uh, um, you were traveling, I think, I was the in last time I talked to him. Yeah. I was How in was Colorado. That? Yep. I cut shredding the gnar with my son and my <laughs> and my family, uh, doing some snowboarding, and it was great. Uh, the one thing that oh, we the haven't moose. talked about, the moose <laughs> dances. I have one of my daughters uh, dances with moose is her new name because... She was snowboarding and almost ran into a full-grown moose <laughs> on the slopes on Copper Mountain. That was crazy. I saw that video. I was like, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that happened. And and now we're here. And now we're back. I miss this. The office hours mm. is my favorite part of the week. For sure. For sure. Cool. So, I I think the last time we talked, I was heading to Code Mash. Um, pretty, a How pretty was that? Good, pretty good Code Mash. I... I got my times mixed up for my second talk, and I was like 10 minutes late to my second talk, which is a no-no, um, but things happen. I mean, I got, it was like 3.30 in the afternoon, or it was, I thought it was 3.30, it was actually uh, 3 o'clock, or 2.45, so, because my talk the day before was on 3.30. Anyways, I had two talks, one on GraphQL, one on developer advocacy, um, both I thought went really well, so... Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, just always good to be around, you know, developers, the hallway track. Saw my good friends yeah. there. So many good people there. Um, Todd Sharp and Scott Strohs, who I'm good friends with. I got to see my good buddy Nate, who was in town for a quick stay because he had a workshop on architecturally thinking. That was really good. Uh, I got to see Chris Judd and oh my God, so many other people. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, but now I'm got a little bit of a break i don't have another conference till the end of february so time to like dig dig the heels in and uh kind of get get to it so i'm excited i have we talked about all the things that we want to work on this year and so now i, I kind of got this open uh space in my calendar where i can start to like dig into those so i'm excited about that that's wonderful uh i have uh i've been doing the streaming uh, in the mornings and it's been fun just a regular show to like bring people in. Uh, Dan is here. Dan had a problem with his config server uh, and he was creating a loop. So he was running into some issues and we just, we brought it on stream and we started working through it. And it wasn't even me that fixed it. Uh, I believe it was Jonas that was like, hey, I found your problem. Here it is in your configs. Dan shared his repository. He shared it. He just took, you know, uh, 
he was able to reproduce the issue he was having in a public nice. way. And then we were able to deal with it on the stream, much like what we would do here. And awesome. it was awesome. And we actually worked through four issues in like the first hour of my stream. I think it was on Wow. Friday. And it was amazing. Just like random stuff that, that people brought in. Uh, Dan's I'd already had a little bit of background in, but we worked through it and we got through issues and it was fantastic. Nice. So yeah, we're having a good time. Awesome. I um, I was digging into, so, you know, I do a lot with GraphQL. There's a new starter on start.spring.io for DGS code generation. This is the package from Netflix. And it kind of looks at your GraphQL schema and will generate some code. It will generate like uh, data types. It will generate client code, a whole bunch of things. Um, but they everything from the DGS side uses Gradle. So, the Gradle version of it works fine. I was testing out the Maven version and found like a small issue using it. So I was able to like talk to the, the GraphQL folks on the Spring team and say, this is supposed to be like this. And, you know, we couldn't figure out what was wrong. So I was able to file an issue and we'll see where that goes. So I, I felt like I was kind of contributing back there. So that was a lot of fun. That is, that's another big benefit of this ecosystem. Uh, and it's another uh, I think a signal that I've been getting uh, already in 2024 is I, I, I try to encourage people to open up issues or you find something, Dan, you know, brings up this like, Hey, we should go fix the doc so that others don't run into this problem. So knowing those steps, being willing to open up an issue, Hey, I tried this. I expected this. I got this result and being able to do it publicly and in the open, all of that effort, your issue, Dan's issue, changing docs, all those little things are what go into making spring, you know, the whole greater than the sum of its parts. <clears throat> yep. Cool. So yeah. Where do we want to start today? Um, do we want to take a look at the calendar? Oh, we always, we always, do you want to share? The we calendar? always take a look at the calendar. Yes. Yeah. So if you don't here. know, calendar.spring.io is a nice list of all the releases happening in the spring ecosystem. And uh, this, this is a good place to start. Again, part of the, the reason we do this show is to try to keep everybody up to date with everything that's going on in the Spring ecosystem. Uh, and there's a lot. And then this is really one place to kind of see what's going on. And I know every time we mention it, people are like, wow, I didn't know that thing existed. So uh, if you're ever we're, curious, we great together place to are going to make, we're going to make <laughs> this calendar.spring.io as popular as start.spring.io because we're going to push people to, it's not just about like, hey, is there a new release? There's an effort here of just looking forward. Like what's coming? You know, the issue that you raised on Spring for GraphQL, when is that going to be released? Is it showing up in the next release, in the milestone, et cetera? Yep. We're going to keep yep. on working on it. And pretty soon it'll be as popular as start.thrin.io. Cool. So what do we have this week? Well, the big thing was last week. Last week. Oh, yeah. Springboot 3.2.2 came out. That's so that true. was yep. that was fun. Uh, I know that there is still an issue that some of our audience has been waiting on. I know that Jonas uh, ran into it. I know that uh, who else? Uh, Emmanuel ran into it. Where there's still an issue with Spring Security and the Spring Boot. It works in 3.2.0. There's still an issue, so they've been rolling back and we're waiting on it. But it's already documented. Cool. And uh, yeah, so I know that that's. Waiting, we're going forward with that. Uh, the new Spring Authorization Server milestone release also came out. Uh, I'm trying to incorporate Spring Session and Spring Authorization Server into a bunch of these projects. So things are happening. This was Spring this Module. Was my heart. Oh, what is Spring that? Spring Module, this is out. 
new version. Oh, yeah. That's Spring AI 0.8.0. There yep. has been so many changes. I feel like it actually got a release and then something happened <laughs> while they were testing it. But uh, yeah. there's so much stuff happening in Spring AI that yep. it's hard for them to like put a snap and like, hey, here's the point in time and that's going to be the release. Uh, right. Again, just paying attention to some of the stuff that's been happening uh, on our channels that we get to see. It's amazing. And there are so many people adopting it already, even though we yep. haven't had a release since, yeah, been a month. Uh, but it's still yeah. moving. And let's um let's quickly talk about Spring AI because I am probably going to give a talk on this in a couple months. Um, and I've been doing some research on this. I I asked some folks on Twitter like what they want to know, what they what they're trying to learn from it, and I got one really strange comment that I, I would like to address. Somebody was like, I, I don't have it in front of me, but somebody was like, I've never heard of that, but please tell me that this doesn't just call something like OpenAI. You know the meme like, hey, we're a startup, yeah. we're an AI startup, and like. Under yep. the hoods, we just call OpenAI. And and I yep. get that for like a startup company, but what we are doing is a little bit different here. We are we are providing an abstraction level on top of different large language models, right? And this is the same, you can you can liken this to something like Spring Data that we're gonna talk about today, right? You can <laughs> Please talk don't tell to me that Spring Data just calls a database on the back end. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> so you can you can talk to a database in Java on your own without anything else, but like why would you yeah. want to when there's these different abstraction levels? Why not just start a project and you're connected to a database and you have all these like uh, levels of abstraction on top of this. This is the same way with Spring AI. There's many LLMs out there. And what we're doing with that is just providing this nice abstraction layer to talk to different LLMs like OpenAI, like Google Bard, whatever the, the list is, right? So I don't think of that as a bad thing. I think of that as a good thing. As a developer, I want that level of abstraction. Sure, I can just write a connection to OpenAI and you know write all the low-level code to talk to some kind of REST API and put in my credentials and all this stuff, but why would I want to? So um, I'm excited about that project and I can't wait to see kind of what's next for it. Yeah, the native image spring security issue, that's the one that didn't make it into 3.2.2. Uh, I fully expect to see it into 3.2.3, so yeah, uh, but also, trying out the milestones like that's a big deal yep. if you can try the milestones you're in a good position 3.3 that means if we're on milestone one man we are getting close to another release yeah. that is just awesome we are cruising but yeah so yeah uh cool oh, hello uh any recommendations to use libraries like OpenCV or others like it in spring boot use it yeah, you, you'll find tons of examples of using OpenCV. OpenCV, uh, in order to like get images and do analysis on images uh, or video streams, yeah, OpenCV is the way to go. Would that be something that's worth showing? Uh, I do have some examples of using OpenCV. I've, I've talked about it here, uh, taking pictures and doing the binary classification. Is this room clean or not? Is this room, is that a person or not? Is that a hat? Like doing those kind of things with OpenCV and Spring Boot, running on you know $15 Raspberry Pis. That, that might be something worth bringing to the show. But yeah. Cool. Um, and I'll just mention, as we always do, we are here on a live stream on a Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern. And thank you to all of our friends who have joined us live. If you have a question, please go ahead and ask those questions. If you are not here live, 
and you want to go ahead and get your questions in, uh, you can go ahead and find us on springoffstars.io. We are going to work on a new website, a, a way for you to be able to ask those questions. Uh, but you can get those questions in. And if you are not here live, you can enjoy this through whatever podcast you network you listen to podcasts on. We're available on all the major podcast networks, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get them. Uh, and that is Spring Office Hours. So please join us there. And if you can, leave us a review. We, we don't push the podcast much much because we're just sitting here <laughs> in a live stream. But it'd be nice to get a few reviews out there and, and, and hopefully like tell others about it. Um, so, yeah, that's the only reason we need a review. Uh, here's so cool. a good comment. To be honest, native image and integration tests are causing issues in every second Spring Boot release. One of the practices that I've been doing, and, and uh, I can show here sometime, I guess, or, or on my stream, is uh, my integration tests run the regular unit tests, uh, but I use rest assured and I put those into an abstract test so that in my integration test, I build the native image as part of my integration test. And then I run the exact same tests with rest assured against the native image that I did against the JVM running application. Uh, and that's a pattern that you can find. Uh, I'll share a link to show you that, but that is an approach that helps me make sure that my native images are gonna work. Uh, to say that they're, you're having issues on every second Spring Boot release, that's a concern, but this is where you can bring it. We do know the Spring team, we work in the same company and we have conversations regularly. So if you're running into issues, step one is maybe let's open up an issue. Make sure that you're not just ignoring it and saying, hey, uh, I run into this issue, but if there's not an issue open or if you can't do a plus one on an issue, go create that issue. Say, hey, here's what I ran into. Here's what I, I expected. Here's what I saw and here's my issue. Uh, Mohammed says, I use Spring Data JPA, but the project got bigger and I have no control anymore. Should I change to JDBC? That's a good question. Uh, why? Yeah, I'd be curious what you mean by I have I no longer have control. Uh, if you can, if you can kind of clear that up for me, uh, maybe we can provide some more insight as we go today. Some other good questions. I think this is a good one to jump off and jump into our today's topic. Uh, Mohammed's yeah. question. Uh, I'm going to put stars on some of these other questions that are coming in, and yep. and we'll we'll circle back to those. But get your questions in. So we we see all the conversation, and everybody else can see it as well. Uh, but on the show, we're going to try to stay on the topic today, and this is a good spot. J JPA versus JDBC or REST. Which one should we do? When are you going to lean into each one? Yeah. So I think a good place to start before we even get into like spring data is just kind of the abstraction levels in spring, right? Um, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning, if you create a Java project, if you create a spring project and you want to talk to a database, you can do purely, it, it, you can do so purely in Java if you wanted to. But there's a lot of things that you have to do to make that happen, right? So Spring came along and provided an abstraction layer with the JDBC connection and the JDBC template, right? So JDBC template allowed you to talk to a database, uh, use this nice API to like get a list of things or get a single thing or create a new one, right? And then non-relational databases came along and things like Redis and MongoDB and Cassandra. And then there were all these other templates. There's a Mongo template, a Cassandra template, whatever there is to talk to that specific store, right? So we had that for a while. And then along, then came Spring Data. And Spring Data is like this umbrella project 
to make talking to databases a little bit easier, right? It, it provides another layer of abstraction. So instead of having to like write all of the CRUD methods, all of the kind of boilerplate that you would in a project for each different resource in your project, Spring Data provides some things out of the box that, again, an abstraction layer on top. Things like the repository abstraction. So the repository allows you to create this interface, say uh, an employee repository. Um, there's no, you don't need any actual code in that. You extend one of the uh, repositories in Spring Data. And then that will get turned into an implementation at runtime that contains like all of these things, all of the boilerplate code that you would write against the database. So, so that is kind of Spring Data in a core. Now there, there's so much more to it. Go to spring.io, go to projects, check out Spring Data, and look at just what the core of Spring Data can do. But then came along some different uh, pro projects, some, some different Spring Data-specific projects. JPA was kind of the big one. Uh, it's been the biggest, I think it's the biggest Spring Data project we have out there. And that was to uh, use JPA. JPA is the Java, Java Persistence API, right? And this is underneath the hood using something like Hibernate. So uh, if you've never worked with the ORM before, something that maps uh, relationships like that, uh, then um, you know there could be a little bit of an overhead to learn that. But once you learn that, it can make you know standing something up real quick. So that's JPA. Um, now there are a bunch of other Spring Data projects in, in under that umbrella. Things like JDBC. Uh, I'm not even looking at a list right now, but there are a ton of different Kafka, Pulsar, Rest, all the others. Yes. Yeah. Right. So this is just another abstraction on top of the template. So now that you don't have to write all that boilerplate, but if you need to extend it, there are things like uh, queries that you can you can write your own SQL query if you want. You can also use this syntax to like derive a query from the method name. Um, so there are a whole bunch of things that Spring Data does to that. So now the question is, okay, we know that. Why are we talking specifically about JPA, JDBC, and REST today? So that's my kind of intro, Deshaun. <laughs> that's good. I went down the path uh, recently on a project where I was like, ah, you know what, I don't want to build all of the controllers. Spring Data REST seemed like a really easy way for me to get a ton of value out of my API without having to do as much code. But the problem I ran into was I have this HAL formatted or ALPS formatted data uh, coming out of my API. I didn't know how to consume it really easily. I didn't remember the parameterized uh, type format and all that. How do I translate HAL or ALPS into the regular JSON objects that I want to use on my front end? So what mm -hmm. I did was I had my same uh, repository and I implemented a controller. So now I have in the same Spring Boot application, I have one endpoint giving me the HAL and ALPS uh, data, and then another one I have it my traditional straight up uh, JSON as an array or JSON uh, items. And that's that's one of those trade-offs is like, which, which way to go? Why would you go down one path or the other? I went down the rest path first because it was easier for me to get my endpoint done. I didn't have to do any controller. I got a ton of the endpoints out of the box. I used paging and sorting and I get it. So all of those controller endpoints, I didn't have to re-implement and in that controller then call a repository. It gives me basically a controller that I can use and it formats the data in a way that I can navigate through the data without having a real front end. I can find all the sources and all the links 
that are included? Yeah, so so that's REST. Um, I think, you know, two of the bigger projects out there are GPA and JDBC. And a lot of the times we get the questions of like, which one do you choose? And I think a really good place to start is what do you know? What do you what does your team know? Right. So if you have if it's just you or if it's a team of 10 developers and nobody's ever worked with Hibernate before and nobody's ever used an ORM before, there's a little bit of a learning curve to like understand that, how these kind of uh, entities relate to each other, understanding things like one to many, many to one, many to many. That can be a little bit confusing at first. Now, once you understand that, though, it's very powerful. You can kind of just kind of model your entities, wire them together, and now you get all this kind of magic out of the box, right? Like you could say, hey, give me a list of these things. And hey, when, when I get a particular uh, book, give me all the authors for it. Or in reverse, give me an author and then give me all the books that they've written, right? So you can do these nice relationships between entities and it provides this really nice thing. Then you can like, so it's basically writing SQL for you. And then you can kind of turn on logging in Spring Data and say, I want to see the actual SQL that Hibernate's writing for me, right? So you get some insight into that. Now, that's the good part of it. The bad, well, it's not a bad part. Uh, I mean, I'd say pros and cons. A con is when things work great, they're really great. When things start to break down and you don't understand Hibernate and all the inner workings of it, it gets a lot harder to debug and like find problems and things like lazy loading and fetching, eager fetching. You know, these things are things you really have to understand to like start to debug issues. Um, so yeah, like with everything, there's a there's an overhead to it. If you can get past that and really understand it, um, it's it's a good it's it's a, it's a great uh, tool in your disposal. I'm going to add this. What is I like to watch uh, Dan and my my friend Josh. I like to watch their stuff. So I'm going to put these links out here uh, into the chat. And I like to watch their stuff. So here's, oh, I didn't put a space in there. Uh, hopefully you can read that. Coffee Software and Dan Vega on YouTube. And recently, Josh did a, a session on Spring Data JDBC and why might you use it? And as he was talking, he was kind of just doing the introduction, like, hey, JPA was great for getting stuff out the door. And I think this kind of goes to uh, Muhammad's concern where he says, hey, a lot of relations, sometimes we're calling a certain endpoint and then there's a bunch of these requests are getting fired. The thing that JPA makes easy is when you've got a bunch of those relationships, you can get to the data you need without doing a whole lot of thinking. It'll do the joints, mm -hmm. it'll get you the data that you want. And we've kind of gone through this uh, lazy load versus don't lazy load or preload. And yeah, you run, you've got a lot of things to concern yourself with. And I think the point he made is if you've got a relationship, you've got a database that has a bunch of these relationships and it's super complex and you can't really tell what's being fired. Maybe it's not that JPA is the issue. Maybe the issue is really about your database schema and there is some trade-offs. So, his whole point was if your database has got a lot of relationships and you want easy to find and easy to pull that data, maybe JPA is the way to go. But keep in mind that your database schema is important and the number of relationships in there are going to cause some yeah, growth and they're going to cause 
greater complexity. So think about simplifying your schema. And if you've got a simple schema, do you really need JPA? So that's all. I'll, I'll leave that there. Yeah. That's where, where my head's at. Yeah. And I would, you know, so, so I haven't, uh, well, two, it's been three years since I've been on a large enterprise project. And even in those projects, some of them were using JPA, some were using JWC. And I would say like, I would love to hear from the audience on this. I would love to get some feedback on this. But for me, it seems like if you're in a large monolithic application and you have all of these entities and you have relationships between all of them, you have a, a complicated domain model, right? Maybe J, JPA works in that scenario. But in a scenario where I'm standing up this microservice and I want it to be simple and it revolves around like one domain, Maybe I don't need JPA in that scenario. Maybe that is, again, I'm just trying to like simplify things and maybe that's where something like Spring Data JDBC can come in. Just my thoughts. Dude, Ted says, I think Hibernate's complexity is much more than how to represent relationships queries, but the caching and detached entities, yep. detached entities, et cetera. Yep, yeah, and if you don't understand that like, Hey, I didn't I didn't call save, but I, I still persisted something to the database. Like, how did that happen? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that you need to understand. And it, it may not be at the beginning. It's when you have to like start debugging issues that are happening. Like, why are these things happening? And unless you truly understand what's happening behind the scenes, it's hard to do that. So uh, you know, Simon's got a good point. Oh, that's not Simon. This is uh JM Wild. It's worth taking a step back and asking yourself. What problem am I solving with these relationships in my schema? Yeah, yep. it's always a good idea. Great one. I'd be really interested, Jared Ted says, I'd be really interested in why folks are choosing data JPA versus data JDBC. Is it mainly very complex shared schemas? Like, what is it? So um, at least, yeah, and at least for me, like where my mindset is, is because of JPA, you know, when I have something, when I have a simple project and there's probably only a few entities or domain objects in there, I, I just feel like it's simpler. Yes, it does simplify things for me. And when I go to production, if I have like production issues, like there's, there's none of that stuff happening behind the scenes where I need to understand all of those little things that are happening. Like I just have simple SQL code that, now I know what's going on. There is none of the the caching issues. There's none of the the eager fetching or lazy loading or detached entities. Like I don't have to deal with that stuff when I'm trying to, to fix issues. So that's me. Awesome. Hold on. So um, so that's JPA. And then I, I don't so we talked about JDBC. So we have those JDBC templates, right, that allow you to, that gives you that abstraction on it. Spring Data JDBC kind of adds one more to it. Now you're in the Spring Data world. Now I can kind of model my domains, my entities, and I can still get all the power of Spring Data, like using the repository abstraction. I can say, hey, give me a uh, employee repository that extends the list cred repository. And now I get all of that stuff out of the box. Like I don't have to write all the boilerplate code for every resource in my application. So I get that. And what that does, like many spring projects do for me, it allows me to focus on the business requirements at hand instead of all that like boilerplate plumbing code. Like I want to write the stuff that my client is interested in, not the list save 
create, read, update, delete, right? So that that's what it does for me. And it does it in a different way. It says, hey, we're going to use um, kind of domain-driven design and use this idea of an aggregate. And we could still model our entities, um, but the way like relationships work between JP and JDBC are a little bit different. Um, so there's, again, it's still a little bit of an overhead to learn, but I think way less than something like JPA. Let's talk about You're the entity versus the aggregate. Let's talk about that because it is a little bit different to get your head wrapped around. If you're coming from one, going to the other, can you jump into that a little bit? I know um, that, that was hard for me. Yeah, yeah. So, well, at least from the JPA side, right? Like we're defining an entity. Well, that's another good point. Um, so, so another big advantage for me, uh, JPA versus JDBC. When it comes to JPA, when you're writing out your entities, these things need to be POJOs in Java. They need to be an actual class. You can't use something like records with JPA uh, because they can't be immutable. There needs to be a way to kind of set stuff after it's been created, right? So on the JDBC side, we can use things like records because it can work with immutable data. Um, so on an entity side, you have to kind of go in and create this thing that represents, say, an employee in your in your application, and then mark, you know, use annotations to kind of say, hey, this is this is defining this column, and this is how this is going to be. This is a table, um, and so that's an entity, and the entity is strictly a mapping between that thing, that type, and the database table. So there's an employee class that maps to an employee table in the database, right? Whereas the aggregate comes from more of the domain-driven design world. So if you, the, the big popular book out there, Eric Evans, Domain-Driven Design's been around forever. There's a few chapters in there that really kind of focus in on that. So if you want to learn more about DDD, check that out. Um, but yeah, the aggregate is like, hey, this is the thing I'm worried about. This is the main kind of class, the main thing that is represented uh, in our application. Um, so yeah, there's some more we can go into about that, but that's kind of high level. Yeah, Mark brings up a good point here. I've always used JPA, but lately when working with multiple instances of a service running example in Kubernetes, uh, I find that the JPA cache causes problems. So I have been moving to JDBC. That's interesting to me. The yeah, caching, and again, right, caching is the, the, it's important. the, the two hardest problems in computer science to solve are caching and what to name your variable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the caching thing, if your, uh, you know, tool, your library is handling the caching for you, uh, yeah, at scale that you've got to understand what's happening under the covers. There's no, um, there's no shortcut for understanding what the library is doing for you. Like there's no easy way around it. You can have all the assumptions in the world uh, but you should really understand what are the defaults. Do they make sense for your situation? But the other part that I'm, I'm seeing in a lot of these, so great questions. Thank you. Keep them coming. Uh, great conversations that are happening in the chat. So I'm going to encourage everybody to come join live so you can see all that as well. But caching, these detached entities and the caching and how many problems that causes, you've got to understand what's happening. And you can turn that all off, but you have to understand what's happening with your libraries. Yeah, and I like Ted's comment, but before I, say, before I get to that real quick, I just want to make sure that we're being clear here that I'm not saying anything bad about JPA. Again, with anything that you choose, 
There are pros and cons. There are a lot of pros with JPA. Again, there are a couple cons that, that we've talked about here today. There are pros and cons with JWC. So I uh, just want to kind of make sure that we're highlighting those. Uh, can uh, you throw jitter Ted's? Yeah, I like this. So you can do DDD, aggregates, et cetera, in JPA. But to me, it's a waste because you toss everything out from memory anyway. So I don't want to do dirty checking, lazy loading, et cetera. So yeah, there's none of that in uh, Spring Data JDBC. You don't have to worry about lazy loading. You don't have to worry about dirty checking. Those things kind of go away. We simplify it down to just kind of um, JDBC SQL. We have another comment yeah. here from Software Arc Talks for Arab. Sorry, I was trying to read the two things at once there. In a yeah. complex system, JPA and N plus one problem can be a killer issue. Yes, so N plus yeah. one is going to come up in JPA. Um, well, N plus one will come up in many places, but um, yeah, yep. that is one place where that and um, kind of cyclical uh, uh, relationships. So I know if yep. you try to like in JPA define a relationship between like a one to many and then a many to one, and you don't like define like who is the owner of that, you'll get some weird issues going on there. Um, so yeah, there are a bunch of things that will come up um, in a JPA application. Uh, the conversations today are great. We've got a great group uh, question here for Mark. Would love to hear more about the problems with your caching. Uh, and here's the thing, you don't switch away from JPA to JWC just to get rid of caching because you're going to need caching at some yes. point. So yep. yeah, it, it's a trade-off. All of these things are, are trade-offs. And there is no built-in caching in Spring Data JDBC. You just take advantage of caching like you would in a normal Spring application. So if you use something like Redis for caching and you use like the at cacheable, like you're just implementing caching yourself now instead of relying on something like JPA to, to do it for you. This is interesting. So Mark says, I have a little load test that does create customer, get customer, update customer, delete customer. If I run... That with more than one replica, I get cust or I get customer. My get, get customer, customer always always fails. Well, so yeah. So is. yeah, Dis uh, that is the the nature of distributed applications, right? Like, I, I don't know what your database looks like if that's getting replicated yeah. in other places, but yeah, that could that could definitely be something. But this is the kind of thing. If if you got a situation, and this is my ask to you, Mark, uh, if you got a situation where like, hey, here's an example of something that you're getting unexpected consequences, put that in a repository. We're here to help. Uh, let's see if we can replicate it. Let's see if we can talk about it on here or on one of the other streams that we do. Uh, and these are the kinds of questions because if somebody like you is running into it, there's thousands of others or maybe even millions of others that are running into the same uh, type of issue. And we want to make sure that you understand the library as much as possible. Cool. Yeah, here's another good question. How to fetch dynamic entity graph with minimal required DB queries that's not possible out of the box, custom in-house solution needs to maintain awkward. Hmm. Like when I hear entity graph, what, what do you think when you hear entity graph? Yeah, I, I think I, I'm picturing the schema and hey, I wanna pull all this information down. That was one of the things that I really liked about Spring Data JPA. And maybe I can do this with Spring Data JDBC, but the ability to create my schema from my objects, right? Where I yep. wasn't thinking database first, I was thinking objects first. And yep. sometimes that can get you into problems, right? That object yeah. <laughs> graph can get you into uh, problems just as easily. So yep. that's one of the things that I liked. And that's one of the reasons I leaned into it because I, I didn't have to leave my IDE. 
Uh, I was having the Spring Data JPA generate the schema, update the schema as I was going. And yeah, life was good, right? Especially when we're just trying to get to that MVP. I had less to think about. I didn't have to put a a schema in SQL. Yep. So in Spring Data JDBC, you need to set up your schema. You can either do it through a database or you can do it through a schema file in Spring and we'll automatically pick that up and execute it for you. Uh, But in JPA, you just have these objects and you say, hey, go off and create my database for me. Now you can control that. Like, do I want to create and drop this every time? Do I want to just update? Uh, There's some mechanisms behind the scenes that you can use to control that. But yeah. Another pro for JPA, and uh, I don't know if you look at it as a con, but like, hey, you got to write that stuff out when you're doing JDBC. So I did see a, a comment in here. In general, which is faster, JPA or JDBC? And faster from the standpoint of I need to stand up a quick demo, probably JPA, because I don't have to worry about setting up a schema. But again, what is faster? Is faster just to get to an MVP? Because now you might spend more time on the back end uh, dealing with issues if there's a lot of things going on. Yeah, uh, just good questions, good comments. I love that we have the group that we have today uh, because this is all good stuff and people are answering each other's questions. Uh, yeah, like this is one that comes up like the eager fetching versus lazy loading uh, and those trade-offs. Uh, if your graph is large and you do eager fetching, you're gonna get all the relationships all the way down then yeah, then your performance is going to take a hit. If you do the lazy loading where you're only getting a little bit of information and grabbing it as you need it, yeah, then you're having to make more queries, get trade-offs. And you can kind of skirt through that in the cases where you want to get the entire graph, go get the entire graph. But you can do that with Spring JDBC as well. The other, one of the other things that Spring Data JPA uh, introduced or another pain point is the queries aren't always the same. Right, you can't guarantee what query is being called when using Spring Data JPA, uh, and and that that's a another trade off. Uh, on the topic of speed, uh, one of the other things I learned from Josh was if we're doing, uh, we care about milliseconds, uh, we care about build time. One of the other things is the performance of Spring Data JDBC in a native image, in a native image, for simple use cases or for some simple use cases is significantly faster. So one of the things that that uh, Josh has a nice little demo around is like, hey, let's build the same. Uh, I'm going to create a, a database schema with customer names, name and ID, and I'm going to do it with Spring Data JPA. I'm going to do a native image. First of all, the native image build time for JDPA or JPA takes longer because there's more in that library. It's got more analysis to do versus Spring Data JDBC. But then also when you generate those native images, and this is, it's stuck, right? When you generate the native images, they actually perform better using Spring Data JDBC. Your container is smaller. There's less in it when you use Spring Data JDBC versus Spring Data JPA. So for me and me trying to deploy things to Raspberry Pis, that's a pretty big, uh, you know, pro in the box under Spring Data JDBC. Cool. See some more comments in here and one from Jitter Ted. Automatic schema creation is great until it breaks. Right. <laughs> until it's not. Yeah. Pros and cons to everything. You know, here's another interesting, right? A lot of times when we're talking about, especially relation relational databases, uh, what does my betas do? And all of the things that it provides. 
this idea of you can let the ORM decide your queries. Uh, but my beta kind of goes halfway. It says, hey, I'm going to do ORM, but these are the queries that I want you to call. So my beta you plug in the queries again from memory. We're plugging in the queries in order to populate those objects. So if you want to do lazy loading, you can on one. If you want to do, uh, you know, full grab everything in the graph, you can do it on a different query, but you're plugging in the queries and you're making sure that those are the queries that are being called to populate your objects uh, in your API. So yeah, we, we talked about this one, but my, my beta is, uh, you know, I haven't talked about it uh, in a while, but I know, you know, two years ago, that was one of the first ones when we started going down this native image path. That was one of the first libraries that we tackled in order to get the, uh, the hints needed for crawl VM. So we talked about this right, in general. There, there's not, there's not a best case for anything that we're doing. There's right. never a is is this the best way to do it? It all depends on your circumstance, your context. What are you trying to do? Are you running on the mainframe? Or are you running on a Raspberry Pi? That's a big, big piece. Uh, Mark says Deshaun will do. I just accidentally discovered this was on and joined the live stream. And since you guys started talking about JPA, I just wanted. I was dealing with it last week. I thought I'd share. Yeah, I'm <laughs> dealing with it right now. Uh, Jared, I'm glad that you're here. I really appreciate it. I, Jared, uh, reminded me that we, we used to work together over at Garmin. Uh, Jared nice. says, I liked making schemas. So I would start there and then build objects to map to them. Not everyone's yeah. cup of tea, but I, I had trust issues. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> instead of doing the schemas, I was making the, the object graphs and I was doing, you know, or maybe I was using UML or whatever, but that's kind of the way, like, how do I want these things built? How do I want these relationships built? There was definitely a point in time where the the pain <clears throat> of a database join, uh, I felt it. Uh, so I've definitely gone down that path of, do I really need relationships? Can I denormalize my data? And it's okay to have multiple copies because disk is cheap. And depending on what I'm trying to do, maybe it's just easier to denormalize data into a different table, not have to worry about joins. Lots of options, lots of ways to tackle this. Uh, I don't know this. Uh, you have you heard of Quai query DSL? Quay DSL? It's query DSL. Oh, so query DSL is like, okay, something is that's supported. Query. It's supported by JPA. So I don't know that it's it's like this or that. Query DSL allows you to like, hey, instead of writing like SQL in a string format, you get more type safe around writing uh, queries. Um, so yeah, so I think you you can use query DSL within Hibernate. Yeah, our pizza uh, another you know, question talking about migrations. Yeah. Yep. Don't you think we should use database migration tools to update change database? Yes. I think that's the better mm -hmm. way to do it. Absolutely. Yep, yep. Uh, no matter what you're using, that's a good place to start. Um, so, yes, absolutely. Uh, this is awesome. Uh, are we, like, we've kind of just been talking uh, about, like, when to do one, when to do the other. Uh, we kind of... The spring data rest one is one that I, I keep on coming back to because it gives me that, uh, the the navigation. I can get all the data and get some of it. I can get all that and I don't have to build the extra controller. But then it's about who's gonna be consuming that data? Who's gonna be consuming those endpoints? And is it okay? Here's a question. This is one that we haven't talked about, right? Uh, you've got a, a talk, Dan, where you say, hey, give your data a rest. Is it time to give your data a rest? Maybe check out GraphQL. And one of the things that everybody, or maybe it's a question I've heard enough, is like, 
Can I, how do I transition? Should I transition? Can I do both? Is there a time where I want to do both? What are your thoughts on that? Because I've, I've got the same set of data and I might want to make it accessible in different ways. What are your thoughts on that? Could I have a, a Spring for GraphQL set of endpoints and a REST set of endpoints for the same data? You certainly could. Is that could. a way to transition? Um, I would say yes. As a transition, like when... GitHub was moving from REST to GraphQL. They supported both. I don't know if they still do or not, but there's they have a GraphQL API. So I assume that the, at some point they have to have both running to make that transition. But I think the ultimate goal is to live on one or the other. Supporting both of those is a nightmare, right? That, that's part yeah. of the reason I would move to GraphQL is supporting all the endpoint explosion on the side of REST. So putting two of those out there sounds like not a lot of fun to maintain. So... Now this is this is a this is a great topic, and it's another one that we hear a lot about. Like, hey, why why would we stop supporting uh, Spring Boot two point five? Because it's hard to support multiple versions of anything, and yeah. we're trying to move forward. So, just like GitHub and supporting the rest, which I think they still do support the rest, but there's a trade off, right? Hey, the Spring for GraphQL or GraphQL endpoints might be easier for them to maintain, less resources on the back end, but they've got a bunch of customers that are still using REST. You have to give time to transition away mm -hmm. from the old and into the new. And something like calendar.spring.io, like having a roadmap so that your consumers can transition, that's an important part of what we're trying to do. Yep. And I would say, so I just, you know, a lot of what, what, one of the questions I get a lot when I'm doing my talk on GraphQL is like, well, well, how does that work with data? And it's like, nobody ever asked that on the REST side. Like, can REST talk to a database? Like, the REST API is a way for uh, a client to access the information that you are exposing. So when I have a REST controller, I delegate to something else like a Spring Data repository to fetch the data from the database. On the GraphQL, it's the same side, you know, same thing. We have an API that delegates to some kind of repository that talks to a database. So, uh, Yeah, so here, here's one. Uh, isn't that thinking the DB first is better instead of objects because at the end of the day, DB is the core of the system. I'm not an experienced developer, by the way, if my question doesn't make sense. Like this is the exact, like you're hearing all this conversation and we've kind of jumped into these frameworks that a new developer might not understand. And this is a great question. So first of all, reminder, like bring your questions. Like this is a great question. And should I be thinking DB first? Do you need a database? Like. It's hard to say, hey, I need a database first if maybe your things don't need that. Maybe they're short-lived. So that's a good question. But your question is great. DB first. Yeah, I love first. it. I, what are you working on? If you're working on an enterprise application that has databases in place already, you are DB yeah. first. Like that, that is the data that we have yeah. to live with. Now, we can maybe talk to the database owners and influence some design in that aspect, but you are database first there. If you're starting from scratch, you can start to think of how do I model out my domain objects? How is my domain going to look? And worry about like how, where that gets persistent later. So yeah, it really depends on where you are in the kind of life cycle design. Yeah. Uh, Ted has, a, like Ted has a good, Oh, Ted has a good comment on that that, uh, that I'll share real quick too, which is DB first versus object first depends on the type of application. There's also a kind of data transactional, lots of reads, writes for versus references data, mostly read and search. So yes, 
there are types of different different types of applications that you're writing too. Um, you can get into like command query segregation, right? Like, hey, we're reading a bunch of data, but we're not writing a bunch of data. So that can influence that approach as well. So great comment, Ted. And I do. I, I lean into, because uh, we had some other questions about like, what about NoSQL? <laughs> right, can I use Spring Data JPA with, with NoSQL? Right? Uh, um, no. So no. So, no. So, so Spring Data has specific stores. So we talked about at the, pro the, the jump that, hey, there are these different projects underneath the Spring Data umbrella. One of those is JPA. That's strictly talking to like a relational database. Same thing with JDB, JDBC. That's talking to related, relational databases. But then there are these other projects like Spring Data Mongo, Spring Data Cassandra. Those will help you with those databases. So if I'm talking to a MongoDB, I use Spring Data Mongo. I still have that idea of repositories. Like I get all of that kind of CRUD functionality out of the box, and then I can just kind of work on the business requirements on my own. So yeah. So check out check out go to spring.io, go to projects, go to Spring Data. You'll see all the different modules on there. There's a bunch of modules that we support at Spring. There's also a bunch of community modules. So if you have a database out there that we don't support right out of the box, there's probably some type of community module out there for it as well. You know what? You bring up a good point. And Mark's here. Uh, and uh, excuse me, I think somebody brought up, oh, Mohammed here. He's like, hey, yeah, I love JPA. When talking about cross database engine, one of the benefits, one of the nice things is when I have Spring Data, Spring Data JPA, Spring Data JDBC, I don't really concern myself as much with which database it's running on. You know, not that anybody's going to move from MySQL to Postgres <laughs> or to Oracle or whatever. Uh, I do love that example. As a developer, <laughs> but as a developer, yeah. switching and hopping. And I, you know, actually, Jared, We'll, we'll know like some companies do do that. You know, when your yep. database gets to a certain size, there is a yep. real decision on why you do that. And being uh, in a situation where you've got something like Spring Data uh, as an abstraction layer, it's going to make it easier. But that's not a reason to choose it, but it will make a change like that easier. And what it, the other thing it does is when you've got Spring and the, the consistency and the the comfort level and all the patterns that exist inside of Spring, the template, the repository. You got these patterns that exist. It does make it easier for a developer to switch their mindset around these different backends, these different backend systems. Uh, so uh, to go on, like what you find on start.spring.io, that is just a set. Uh, but if you need to use a database like Oracle, Oracle has their own starters that are gonna behave the same way. It's stuff that they're supporting, Oracle supporting, but you can pull it into your project just like you do any of the other starters. So I wanna make that clear. Just because something doesn't exist on start.spring.io doesn't mean you shouldn't use it. There's a mm -hmm. ton. One, <laughs> the Spring ecosystem is massive and it's being used all over the world and yeah, in all different sorts of uh, industry verticals. There's probably a starter for you somewhere. And if there isn't, yeah, think about creating one. But yep. the Spring ecosystem is massive. If it's not on start.spring.io, it doesn't mean you shouldn't use it. Uh, and it doesn't mean you can't get support for it either, right? It's just mm -hmm. not supported by the Spring team. I just want to give a shout out to William N. who left a comment and said, sup, nerds. <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> Thank you, William. Love it. I, I, I like yep. being called a nerd, so don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in this house, that's a, that's a good thing. So the, the conversation has been amazing today. I know that we're coming up, we got five minutes left. Uh, I had started a few. Um, 
Uh, so this one, we'll have to come back to that one. We'll talk about that one later. Uh, yeah, let me, I'll just point Olaf that out that, Go ahead. so a lot of the mappings between like a REST client and the REST template, they're not a one-to-one. So uh, yes, there's ways to do it, but it's not the exact same way that you would have done it in something like REST template. But there is an issue out there. Uh, I think we've filed an issue and I think that's being looked at. So. Uh, and I just, I accidentally unstarred a question that I wanted to get to. It was about uh, LDAP. There is a project called Spring LDAP that makes it easier for you to test and validate LDAP. Uh, so yeah, that's my answer. And I'm sorry, I lost the, the question. Spring LDAP, take a look oh, at there, that project. There, there is a Spring has. Data LDAP too, right? Yeah, so so Spring Data LDAP will, will make that a lot easier. Awesome. Another abstraction. One of them, Spring Data, one of them has in it a a local like an embedded H2 that you can use to validate your LDAP as well. Nice. Uh, but I don't know which one it is. Um, so good stuff. This is great. What a great way uh, to come back. Get your questions in. Uh, all the questions are awesome. Uh, and I want to throw this out. One of the things I've been seeing uh, from one of the Twitch streamers, Security Live, uh, gets his transcript. His transcript is saved so that we can you know, search uh, through past episodes. But the other thing that that he does on on his channel is he pulls in the chat. So the chat gets injected into the transcript at the same time. So that when you're looking at context of what were we talking about, what were kind of questions that we had? Because sometimes on this show, questions get answered in the chat, they get asked in the chat and they get answered by the chat because we have such an amazing audience. And it would be nice to capture those as well. So I'm just throwing cool. it out there. Yeah. I don't know if we can do that, but we can certainly look into it. I love our job. I love what we're doing. <laughs> this is great. Well, I love that this show ends at two o'clock Eastern now because it gives me time to now produce the podcast that will come out tomorrow morning. So on Tuesday mornings, when you wake up, this will be available via podcast. So here's a good here's a good comment here from mark i get the impression some people use small db like h2 etc to test then run in a big db like oracle but with new test containers in spring boot 3.2 you can fire up oracle in about 10 seconds for your test this is this is absolutely it i mm-hmm. whenever i find myself reaching for h2 I, i'm always like do i really need it because test containers makes it so easy like i can yep. literally be testing against the exact same thing and i can use those test containers anywhere in my pipeline. So yeah, I agree that that's, I think for me, that's the way to move forward. Yeah, and and even I used to use an H2 database to develop against, and now I don't. Now I have Docker Compose support, and I'm just like, hey, I'm gonna use a Postgres database because I don't have to set up one. I can just start my app. Spring is gonna see that Docker Compose file, spin up a a a container for me, and I'm off and running. So yeah, I find myself not reaching for H2 that much anymore. Um, to be honest. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that because I haven't been reaching for it. I know that I did recently, but it felt dirty. Yeah. And even I I saw that comment like less than 10 seconds. And I thought, well, that's too long. Ted is saying I can fire up a Postgres in a test container in less than two two seconds. And yeah, Yeah. the, the, I don't know if Postgres versus Oracle. Right, right. It should go out. It should be, they're pretty fast. And that, you know, you and I have talked in the past. That's one of the things that really excited me about test containers when I started using it. It's like, wow, I expected this to take a long time. And if it does, I'm not going to use it. And there it just, it spins up really quickly. So. 
So again, another one of these conversations that's happening in chat where they're talking about caching and when to use it and how to use it. And Jitter Ted, again, always with the, the great insights, caching will very likely help. But if you don't measure, and in parentheses, profile your code first, you don't know how it hurts or helps. So measure first, then cache and see how it helps. I, I am a big fan of caching. I'm a big fan of distributed systems and in distributed systems, you need caching. Maybe we need to, maybe that's another topic. Uh, I'm gonna add that to our list. It's just like caching. Like how can caching help fix my broken architecture? How can caching help uh, with my, my massive scale? Caching might be a good topic and the different ways that we can slice and dice it, that might be a good topic. But the whole thing is, is you can't just slap on caching and say, yeah, it works. You gotta know what's the problem you're trying to solve and measure to make sure that you're, you're getting the expected value. Cool. Some good stuff. All right. Um, Do you want to, oh. oh, go ahead. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to catch up. Hey, how about Hazelcast? Uh, yeah. Hazelcast is a thing. Uh, we say, what an amazing app I can give. Uh, I can fire Postgres. Yeah. We already saw that. So this is, this is awesome. What a great show today. It felt like five minutes. It felt like we just kind of flew through because there's so much stuff. Yeah. Ambu, Thank you everyone EJ, for Jim showing Ted, up and Nick, thanks for everyone. the comments. Thank you so much for joining. Like this was, this was wonderful. So Dan, yeah. So I, I think this is really kind of the, the start of the discussion. We did a really kind of high level overview. If there are things that you want us to dive a little bit deeper into, let us know if, um, there, you know, we can't always do it on, on this show. We're, we're more just, uh, having a conversation about some of these things. But if there's some tutorials or you want Deshaun to live stream about something or you want a video or an article explaining one of these things in depth, that is what we're here for. We are here to engage with you guys, find out what questions you have, and hopefully provide some, some more insights and education around the things that, that you're having issues with. There's tons of good questions here, and I'm, I'm in agreement. Like Maybe we need to spend more time uh, on spring data. We know. We know from start.spring.io that Spring Data, JDB, Spring Data JPA is like the number one downloaded uh, resource. So we know that much, but just because that's, that's where it's being used at on start.spring.io, it's good to get this insight from the community, but maybe we yep. need to spend a little bit more time on Spring Data JPA, the relational database, but then we also have yep. the non-relational, the NoSQL databases. We could probably spend all year and not get outside of the Spring Data umbrella uh, yep. but we'll see the number of people that we had show up today was amazing. The questions and the, the chat has been amazing. So I, I think that's maybe a signal that we should spend some more time around spring and spring data. All right. Well, if you want to learn more, you can reach out to us. You can check us out on springofficehours.io. Deshaun is still on the bird app at Deshaun. I am on there as well at the real Dan Vega. You can always reach out to us there. Um, you, there are plenty of ways to get a hold of us. Just get a hold of us, uh, start the conversation, and we'd love to dive deeper on some of these things. Uh, so with that, okay. season three, episode three is over, Deshaun. We have an exciting show planned for next week. If you want to find out about it, springoffsars.io, and we will see you next Monday. Have a good one, everyone. See ya.